The Way Out Podcast, episode 101. Welcome. Thank you for joining us on this week's installment of The Way Out, sharing stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. The Way Out does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. Our purpose is to share with you, one episode at a time, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. The Way Out Podcast is sponsored by Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check out the official website of the Way Out Podcast at www.wayoutcast.com. There you will find links to our latest episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Radio FM. You can also follow the Way Out Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Help us get the message out that lifelong recovery from alcoholism and addiction is possible by giving us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. Have a question or comment about an upcoming or previous show? Call us right now. Area code 218-382-1960. We're going to start featuring your comments and questions on the podcast. Call us anytime, day or night and leave us a message on whatever is on your mind. Maybe it's a previous episode topic or something that you're struggling with in your own recovery. Call us at 218-382-1960 and leave the Way Out podcast hosts a message and we could feature it on our next episode. That's 218-382-1960. Help us recover out loud. The Way Out podcast is on right now. Along with Jason and Alex, I'm Charlie, and we'll be your hosts for this week's discussion on the super sobriety topic, terminal uniqueness. We'll give you an indispensably valuable definition of what terminal uniqueness is and how it can and does act as a block to meaningful and lasting recovery. Join Alex, Jason, and myself as we share our own experiences with terminal uniqueness and how we and many others in the recovery community overcame this seemingly impossible obstacle to recovery. Plus, we take calls from the Way Out podcast we'll be right audience back with on the this second week's half topic of our discussion you don't on terminal uniqueness. So we pause for this week's Jason, rendition Alex, of recovery we're back revealed. together. An opportunity a brand to take new a closer topic, look a brand at a new recovery of this topic, life in right? recovery. Uh, and we talk uh, a lot um, about, I talk a lot Jason, about you're say the first word of the topic. Alex, you're going to on this podcast you're gonna finish for a number of reasons. Adorable. Ready? Not the least of Terminal which is that uniqueness. when we recover, yeah. oh, dude, that was really to cute. be living, yeah. breathing yeah. examples like of bonding. Yeah, dude, recovery special. Looks like. I love it. So people you can help. I think terminal uniqueness limitless is, is, is when you choose to embrace recovery to and refuse to recover in silence. Uh, episode this week, recovering out loud one, provides hope. I think to the countless many people of us you touch 
felt on that a way and didn't basis. really apply Many a name to it. Of whom we felt that never way in actually recovery, get the pleasure of knowing you touched them that, uh, at least in a meaningful my way. Recovery and, and that's okay. Before I got make no mistake, however, my choice to recover, recover out I loud really is mine and mine alone for a long time. Nobody that I was else that made that decision for me. Incapable person. It became abundantly clear to me very to early better, in my recovery right, as it says in that I needed to go like all I thought in I was on this recovery deal. Un- and that um, included embracing my sobriety and recovery and in a very transparent um, way. Too far gone. Had someone that, that outed me had per se sailed. or broke and my anonymity without that. my permission that did get better or knowledge were obviously it would not have been a tremendous right? breach. Oh, yeah. um, so let's start with a ro- working definition. So much so that I may not have felt really, really comfortable love. being a part um, of the recovery so community. I so passionately is used to describe. I need to trust the feeling that when I go to a twelve so step in their situation or other recovery meeting, that, that no one saying, else what you hear here, who you see here, let it stay here. Is strictly adhered uh, our to. Speaker that's going it to play may seem contradictory, the, uh, but it isn't at all. Is fully charged. In fact, now, it's so quite good. simple. Oh, right on. I yeah, don't I have like, to You guys are super worried. Oh, is like, is oh my god, what is going on? Tornado. Is it gonna blow up? That means yeah. if I see them in public, nothing, I don't let anyone else nothing. know where I know really them from. <laughs> so not because if of you've ever had any of any these other thoughts, you're probably then it's just not my place to announce that they are in recovery. There's no help. For Each one of us has the privilege to keep our recovery anxiety. Fill in the or embrace the heck as severe out. as mine. A privilege no one that is knows and how to always remain up our own. Now yeah, back to the second yeah, half yeah. of our discussion to that? on terminal <laughs> uniqueness. No one else has this enough. kind of fill in the blank anxiety, depression. They wouldn't know how it feels. <clears throat> so how could they possibly help? Yeah. Yep. You relate to that? You know, it's funny because I used to have the opposite, well, a related thought, which is if you knew what it was like to be me, right? If you knew what it was like to live in my skin, you'd drink too. You'd get fucked up too. Yeah, right? I can relate to that, man. Yeah. Oh. And it was almost sort of like this reverse pride, this indignance that I had about my use in my drinking, where if people questioned it, I'd get outright indignant. Like, how dare you? Mm. You have no idea what it's like to be me. You have no idea what I've been through. And that yeah. speaks to that uniqueness. They could never understand. Ah, yes. Yeah. yeah, my parents, my parents were so bad. My upbringing was so bad. Whatever had been thrust upon me either fairly or unfairly, right, was so different and so unique that that gives me the right, right? Yeah, I, I deserve to drink. I deserve Boom. to get fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like that, almost that sense of like entitlement. Yes. Perfect word for that. Yeah. I I entitled myself. The, my My past, my... The collection of things that I endured, both self-imposed and not, entitled me to have this addiction and this alcoholism. Yeah, Maybe I'm just not capable of getting healthy is another 
thought. It's just so much harder for me than anyone else. Yeah. I wish this came easy to me like it does everybody else. And <laughs> isn't that amazing? Because doesn't how to me in recovery now, how um, incomplete that thinking is thinking that it just must be easy because clearly they're doing it. So it must be easy for them because the only way that it's possible for them to recover is if it was easy. It couldn't be hard for them. It couldn't be a challenge. No. No. Right? Well, they just see the results. They don't see the work that went into it and they're not willing to do the work, you know, like, because they don't have any help, you know. I love that you just said that. Like, that, that, like, touched my soul on a level right there like well, real. you know like it's very true like when you go to meetings and you interact with people in this program you definitely see the results more often than you know you see the work like you only see the work unless you like if you know that person on like a really like a deeper level you know yeah yeah where you're sharing you know your experiences through the process day to day with one another you know and they're watching you do the work <clears throat> Or you're watching them is kind of what we're thinking of. But yeah, right. same, 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 same. That you're able to watch the work that they're doing. This is a big reason why I try to be so out there with my my uh, journey. You know, when I first started and I found out what it does for me on the accountability level, the vulnerability level, there's so much power in putting my story, my experiences, my path um, and the work that I've been doing and working on and the, how much I've struggled with it and the successes with it and everything, you know, I put that stuff all over Facebook and um, it's awesome because it's like, a ma- you know, putting it out there for everybody to see. And then I know, you know, that everybody knows what's going on with me. I mean, it's it's been good, you know, like there's power in that, but it's hard to do for most people. And I get that. I'm kind of rare in that way i guess and i think it's so amazing you said that jason because the ability to be able to be vulnerable and struggle out loud and um be real i would judge people previously even in program and in early sobriety and here i am struggling mightily but Um, And in the beginning, I was very vulnerable, but then I got to a point where I felt like I was, you know, sort of hitting the talking points when it came to sharing at meetings, but not really sharing what's up, right? And I think that can be difficult at meetings for sure, because some people may accuse you of sharing things that are for your sponsor and not for the meeting, right? But I disagree, and I disagree for for a very important reason. So the people that say you shouldn't share honestly where you're at, you should just, you know, wax poetically about steps, right? And hit the talking points, right? It's crucial that I see the struggle in somebody else every now and again. Because I'm struggling too. And if I believe that nobody else is really struggling because nobody shares it, then I am going to feel like I'm the only one. And well, that's dangerous for me. And if you're like, if you're doing really well in recovery, and so now you're you're hiding your struggles because you don't want, you know, 
what are people going to think? Like, pride. They all look up to me and, you know, it's like, well, then you're cheating yourself. You're cheating yourself. You know what I'm saying? And it's pride. Yeah. And it's pride. But you're Bingo. Complete, you're completely Alex. cheating yourself because closed mouths don't get fed. And how can people help you if you don't share that stuff? And then on that other point you made about, because I have a pretty good opinion on that, I think, uh, you know, you said that like, sharing things in meetings that are like more sponsor things. Mm. I feel like that shouldn't even be like a thing that people say. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I completely understand and respect that a lot of people feel better having, you know, that sponsor or maybe them one or two people that they can share those deeper things with and they choose not to get too personal about their life in the meetings. That's fine. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people that aren't doing the work in meetings, so they're not in a position to really give you sound advice or help you in any genuinely, like, healthy way. But I don't know. You know, I'm just like, I feel like that's such a limiting thing to put on people, especially like newcomers. You tell them that and then they almost feel like it's like that's like a suggestion and like they really can't do it. And Right. You know what, dude? Share what you want to share. What's on your heart to share? Like, if you... Like, I, I'll put it all out there. Like, I don't care, you know, but some people can't. But, you know, if you can, do it because it's done nothing but help me. You know, like, from my experience, I can say it's it's been a blessing that I've been able to get butt naked honest with people, you know. Everywhere. And that pride that Alex talked about, you know, I'm guilty of. And I'll tell you that when I hear people share authentically where they're at and they're struggling and they're in recovery and then they come back the, ne- the next week still sober after the struggle that to me i need to see that and so um and i'll share this with you guys now and with the way out podcast community um my um oldest half brother uh, died um just less than a week ago fell off a balcony freak accident mm. sorry to hear man thank you and Man, I was mad, and I found out um, on a Tuesday, and I went to my Wednesday home group, and I share that in the meeting out loud, and I don't normally do that, and, I, and, and, and it taught me something, because other people needed to hear that maybe too, that that stuff happens, and that this guy just isn't, you know, Mr. You know, recovery, like... Mr. Immaculate Recovery. Boom. Right. That he has a hard time too, yeah. and yeah. that that anger and the the stuff that was going on inside of me, which I knew was a secondary emotion, right? But I needed to let people know that I had feel a lot of feelings going on that I didn't like at all, that I wanted nothing to do with. I I wanted no part of any of those feelings. I was mad that I was even feeling them. Is right? that I was just going to ask? Why were you angry? Because I was mad because I felt like it, if it was an accident, I mean, it's, it means it shouldn't have happened, right? Yeah. And so I have an acceptance. Like one of my biggest issues is acceptance. Like when something like that happens, I get mad at it. Yeah. Because my first thought is that shit shouldn't fucking happen in this world. Fuck that. Fuck that. Yeah. That fucking shouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah, man. Okay. We and so it. I get mad, right? <laughs> yeah, dude. And you I... can hear and you can feel it, right? Like Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But 
but if I share that out loud and I share that I'm having a hard time with the feelings, then that allows me to be able to deal with them in a constructive way. And I know like there's part of me that knows that the anger is not rational and it's a secondary emotion and all that logical part of my brain knows that. Yeah. Then there's the other emotional part of me that's like, no, F that. That's not feelings happen. Right. And we have to feel them like and they don't. They end when they end. We don't get to, you know, we can't just shut them off. And other people were able to share their experience around losing people that were close to them in recovery. Yeah. And then I didn't feel alone or unique. Oh, that's cool. I just just told you about my friend Casey when I got here. He, uh, He was a good friend of mine. His uh, brother is one of the leaders at this recovery ministry, Grace Recovery, it's called, that I'm a leader at. And this kid was coming back around for a few months, and I didn't know this until after he passed, but I guess he was kind of doing the (coughs) double life thing. You know, he was Mm -hmm. living recovery and coming to the meetings and being around us guys in the week and then going back up north to his mom's and shooting up on the weekends and... Jekyll and Hyde. He overdosed Monday morning. Well, I don't know when he overdosed. Maybe it was Sunday night or something, but his mom found him Monday morning this week, and he still had the needle in his arm, and he was dead in in her bathroom. And, you know, watching him come back and go, and, you know, we kicked around the idea of maybe me sponsoring him sometime if he would ever be ready, and these things that, you know, we – he watched me. He see. He met me when I was at my worst. You know, when I was nowhere near getting clean yet. And he, so he knew that it worked. He knew that this works. You know, between me and his brother and some others that that he's seen. And it was this one hit me hard. You know, it's been a pretty rough week dealing with that as well. So, but I didn't have a clue until we started recording about Charles's thing. He just bring slapped me in the head with that. I so sure did. It's cool that. You know, you never even know, like when I come over here and I was telling you about that, like I would have had no idea that I was doing anything more than just like letting you know kind of like why my week's been kind of tough. Right. And you, that's cool to hear that it helped you, man. So it did. Yeah. And I need to hear that. And I need to hear that, you know, that stuff that we don't like, that is hard and complicated. And we have the ability to be able to work through that. And we can, if we let people know that we're dealing with it and then we're letting people know that it's okay to help us too and it's okay to be able to reach out and man I don't feel alone and that's important and that I don't feel like I'm dealing with some of these things that are that threaten to be overwhelming right and I say threaten because they're really not but they threaten to be they feel like they are and feelings can feel so powerful that they're so convincing, right? And mm-hmm. Like they're factual and mm-hmm. they're final and they're permanent. Sometimes they feel like they're going to be permanent, right? Absolutely. And uh, yeah, the, the important thing is that no feelings aren't facts and you just got to ride that wave and they will pass and there will be joy again, you know? <laughs> so fear has this way of trying to convince us that we're so unique, we're beyond help. Our situations are beyond what anyone else in the history of the world (laughs) has ever gone through. So they can't possibly understand. (laughs) Inconceivable. It's fear's way of guaranteeing. 
being it's got a place to stay for a while longer so it's fear's way of trying to keep to stay within us right if you believe that you are alone and no one will ever be able to understand then you won't reach out for help yeah remember that acronym false evidence appearing real bingo dude it's that fear inside you that's keeping you broken and so fear is behind the terminal uniqueness right i'm afraid that i'm beyond help i'm afraid i'm unfixable irredeemable and that i cannot be helped or you're afraid you're gonna fail so you don't even try mm-hmm. yeah or you know uh i remember there was a time when i was afraid that maybe i might fit in you know and hundred percent that's kind of what kept me away from meetings for the longest time was like i you know i just wasn't ready to you know accept that i had problems you know and that's funny you say that alex because i remember in, in my early 20s when i was uh sober for a year on wall steps meaning i didn't work them i just read them off the wall once a week um <laughs> and fellowship uh i um i would look at people in the room and you can you knew the people that got it right like it's just abundantly clear the people that had it right mm-hmm. And half of me envied them, and half of me didn't want to be them. Like, I'm not like you all. Like, sure, I've got alcoholic-like symptoms, but <laughs> but but I'm not an alcoholic. Alcoholic-like symptoms. Bingo. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's sad, but I mean, I... Oh. That just kind of makes me chuckle a little bit because oh, we've I'm, all been there. 100% dude, like I'm alcoholish, but I'm not uh-huh. an alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's, it? it's tough to accept, you know. Because I was looking for differences and I was trying to find, you know, and I was always looking for ways that I was not like them. Oh, it's yeah. It's like the first line in the 12 by 12, dude. The first line and the first step is like, who in the world wants to ever admit complete and utter defeat? Boom. Boom. It's like no shit. And then when it gets goes into like who wants to do these things that the step says and it rattles off like basically, you know, the gist of what you're doing, like the whole process. And it's like nobody wants to do that stuff. Um, I think part of the first step is, at least for me, was realizing that one of my greatest fears was being like everybody else in the room. And, you know. Like I looked at all the stuff I said I'd never do that I did because of drugs and alcohol, and you know, take a sample of fifteen people from any given meeting I've gone to, and I have about a half a list with anybody mm-hmm. in that room in common. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. so. First, Alex, then Jason. Terminal uniqueness is a barrier to recovery. Oh, absolutely! I would definitely say it's. A huge barrier for recovery and you know I'll, I can take it a step further and talk about why I feel that way mm, please um, you know so like from week two I was I was chairing a meeting like if you guys want to stay sober and you know I strongly encourage you guys to get involved in service work and keep that position and I mean go every week that helped me tremendously in my sobriety but um, you know we'd go around for introductions and I'd say, my name is Alex. I'm an addict alcoholic. And the reality of it is I was co-chairing an AA meeting and the chair of an NA meeting. 
And uh, in that NA meeting, uh, we we read something called a clarity statement, um, which basically more or less breaks it down to, you know, to identify as an alcoholic addict or addict alcoholic or however, um, implies that there's more than one disease, you know, when in reality, I mean, it's pretty much the same thing, Mm. you know? So by uh, identifying, you know, in an NA meeting as an addict and an alcoholic in an AA meeting, uh, like I know I no longer have that unique feature, right? And if somebody, and the the important part about that is if I'm at an NA meeting and I, I identify myself with alcohol in any way, there might be someone in there who's an addict who's like, who does not have, you know, hasn't previously had any issue with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And they're going to stop listening as soon as my, I open my mouth because, oh, you know, he doesn't, you know, he went through alcohol. I've never done with that. That must not apply to me, you know. And by breaking down that, you know, that uh, that snowflake complex, you know, like by basically stating, hey, I'm no different from anyone else in this room. Mm-hmm. It opens this gateway mm-hmm. for people to listen and potentially hear something that could save their life. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's huge. I identify as an addict and an alcoholic no matter what meeting I'm at Mm -hmm. because I think it's important for whether that be NA or AA um, because I think it's important for people to understand that um, uh, the for me, they're one and the same. There's no differentiation whatsoever. But for somebody that has their primary um, substance of choice was alcohol, they can identify with me and if it was a drug or other chemical they can identify either i mean really very early on in treatment it was funny i heard somebody identify themselves as a what you got a holic which really i mean right i got a friend i got a friend and if she listens to this she'll know exactly who who i'm talking about but she always says i'm blank and i'm addicted to more oh yes. that's like how she always says and i, I know like i love about. that shit 100%. i was actually just gonna bring that up too i love that shit that's great yeah that's great all yeah. right jason when it comes to terminal uniqueness do you believe in your experience let's just put it th- put it in a different context have you ever met anybody that once they were uh, in a place where they were sharing what was really going on, that they were really terminally unique. Have you ever, have you ever, ever found anybody that's really terminally unique that you've, you've, you've heard what they've shared and you've thought, well, they're, they're, they're not fixable. No, no, absolutely not. And you know, I try to call them on that shit too because it's, it's negative thought patterns. It's, it's, it's because your thoughts, beliefs, and attitudes are fucked up right now, and you haven't done the work to change those things about yourself, to become enlightened, to to grow personally, spiritually, emotionally. You know, until you do the work, you're going to be kind of like still operating under those false beliefs, you know, about your life, your situation, the world around you, everything you know, we have a twisted perception of. So, I mean, it's really, it's sad because they're so convinced, you know, and they're so, they have bought into it. And I, I can't even judge it because I've did that my whole life, my whole fucking life. Absolutely. I thought all these things that since I've really, um, developed the strength to face those demons, uh, 
I really found out how so far, like so many things were so far off. I was so far off. But I mean, I it was just narratives that I told myself and told myself for years that I, you know, I, you know, believed as fact because I told myself these lies for years. So terminal uniqueness is fear's way of keeping us sick. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. It, it's a it's our infinite list of excuses to isolate ourselves, alienate ourselves, you know. If we don't feel connected and if I don't feel like I'm like you, then I don't believe I can recover, right? If I feel like I'm different from you, right, then I believe that you're different. That's why you recovered. And because I'm not like you, I'm not going to be able to recover. But if I feel like I am like you, (laughs) then I will recover. That's good shit. Yeah. Well, I just love it because it's like, I know you know that I know you know that I know you know. (laughs) You know, when people do that shit, that's what I was thinking. I know that you know that I know. I was like, is he going to keep going with this back and forth? Like, same thing. uh, I don't, like, the first time I ever cracked open the big book, uh, you know, in the beginning it talks about, like, the four different kinds of alcoholics. There's that, or, like, the three or four. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. About, you know, the problem drinker, and then uh, it goes on to list a couple of them. And uh, I, I remember, like, spending, like, an hour, like, legitimately, like, I can laugh at this now, but, like, it was serious shit back then. I, like, sat down and, like, was like seriously thinking about okay so which one am i oh oh yeah you know oh yeah like and even though right after that <laughs> when it's all taken into context it's basically explaining that no matter where you fall on the spectrum it doesn't matter if you're if you're honest open-minded and willing to do the work see and it took a sponsor to like actually get that that bit that you just right. brought up there <laughs> yeah. to like actually let it sink in that yeah. it doesn't fucking matter like the reality of it is it can help you no matter what. The solution's the same. Yeah. Yeah. And and we don't have to be so broken and destroyed everything, you know, like to, to get well. We you know, really don't. I mean, I did because I'm me and I didn't want I was so unique. Right. That's exactly why, too. This, is, <laughs> this topic is why. It is. Um, yeah. Isn't it just truly exhausting to like perpetually try to be that that terminally unique person like it's freaking exhausting coming up with the excuses well oh i can't relate to that or no there's no way anybody can relate to this or that like it's lonely yeah so you often hear garden variety alcoholic garden (laughs) variety addict yep right in recovery typical and that's because i really do feel like and by the way gardens have varieties last time i checked yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. But it's a garden variety, meaning they all need the same amount of water, sun, right? If I've got a vegetable garden, right? There's some differences, sure, right? right. But by and large, the rules are pretty much the same for, for, for the stuff that's going to grow in my garden. Yeah, unless you're that guy at Passages Malibu. <laughs> oh, God. I, I used to be an addict. And so, but no, I'm not, not. anymore. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't, know how to, I don't even know. It doesn't work even, that way. I don't everybody. even know. I don't even know what to say. Jason, if you were engaging one on one, or if there are people listening to this podcast right now that are feeling terminally unique, that are feeling like no, but you don't. You don't understand. You you can't possibly understand. I've been through a set of circumstances and a set of experiences 
And I was born in such a way that's so unique. <laughs> Jason, and they're, th- and, they're, and they're thinking in their heads. If you but guys they can don't, see the look on his face but, while he's saying this but shit. They don't, <laughs> yeah. But they don't know me. Oh, what would you say to them? Um, honestly, man, all I, do, all I can ever do that is going to really reach in and touch a person or make them really think, like click with them, is share my own experience. So I would share with them kind of like how I finally, despite, and and believe me, it was despite my own feelings of terminal uniqueness, decided to finally open my mouth and get real about what was happening in my life that I was facing 10 years in prison, that I was, you know, in the middle of a court process for that, that I was like six months removed from seeing my youngest son and 15 years removed from seeing my older two children. And I just felt like there was no hope, you know, and when I opened my mouth and I explained all these seemingly to me unsurmountable odds that I was facing um, and that I couldn't keep a needle out of my arm, you know, that um, I mean, the response was overwhelming because I followed all of that up with, I need your guys's help. I know I don't know you, but if you think you can really help me, please help me. And after the meeting, people surrounded me. I left that meeting that night with a bunch of numbers in my phone, um, tons of new Facebook friend requests. And I was, you know, I was like getting blown up, you know what I mean? And with messages and I don't know, like the support was overwhelming, really overwhelming. Um, but the result was this sense of relief. And you know what? That was my first, first time I ever really didn't feel alone anymore. You know what I mean? This week's Recovery Revealed segment is brought to you by All Recovery Rings and allrecoveryrings.com. Would you like a medallion or coin from your favorite recovery program hand-forged into a beautiful ring? Go to allrecoveryrings.com and choose from over 15 stunning styles all hand-forged by expert craftsmen. What are you waiting for? Do like I did and get your very own recovery ring today. We'll be right back with the second half of our discussion on terminal uniqueness as we pause for this week's rendition of Recovery Revealed, an opportunity to take a closer look at a particular aspect of this life in recovery. We talk a lot about, I talk a lot about recovering out loud on this podcast for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that when we recover out loud, we're choosing to be living breathing examples of what recovery looks like. The people you can help is nearly limitless when you choose to embrace recovery and refuse to recover in silence. Recovering out loud provides hope to the countless people you touch on a daily basis, many of whom you'll never actually get the pleasure of knowing you touched them in a meaningful way. And that's okay. Make no mistake, however, my choice to recover out loud is mine and mine alone. Nobody else made that decision for me. It became abundantly clear to me very early in my recovery that I needed to go all in on this recovery deal. 
and that included embracing my sobriety and recovery in a very transparent way. Had someone outed me, per se, or broke my anonymity without my permission or knowledge, it would have been a tremendous breach of my trust and confidence. So much so that I may not have felt comfortable being a part of the recovery community I so passionately adore. I need to trust that when I go to a 12-step or other recovery meeting, that the saying, what you hear here, whom you see here, let it stay here, is strictly adhered to. It may seem contradictory, but it isn't at all. In fact, it's quite simple. I don't have the right to break another person in recovery's anonymity, ever. That means if I see them in public, I don't let anyone else know where I know them from. Not because of shame or any other reason, then it's just not my place to announce that they are in recovery. Each one of us has the privilege to keep our recovery private or embrace the heck out of it. A privilege that is and should always remain our own. Now back to the second half of our discussion on terminal uniqueness. Listen up. Don't forget the way we get the message out to those who still suffer is to give this podcast a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. People rallied around you when you reached out for help and said that I can't do this anymore. And at that point... And believe me, I didn't want to do it, you know? And I think that's important, really important part of this to, to try to drive home for you guys is that you, you know, anything in life, you have to step through the fear. There's going to be fear. There's going to be fear before... Do it anyway. Anything that's good for you, honestly. I swear to God. Do it anyway. So you could be just terrified of stepping out of this this place, right? Do it anyway. Yep. And you're going to be pleasantly surprised by the results that come out of doing those, those scary actions over and over and over and that's what recovery is in the beginning especially um you start to recognize that fear or that feeling of uncomfortable feeling as a opportunity for growth you know you start to recognize it as that when you reap those benefits after a while you know of doing it enough times and that's what a sponsor's for man sponsor will tell you when when those things are in front of you that you have to do because that really, you have to walk through yeah because we're like no nah, i ain't fucking doing <laughs> you, <know. laughs> you want me to wait you want me to what yeah that's oh, stupid <laughs> oh hell no that doesn't even make sense how is that going to get me better how is that going to help me in my recovery that does none of this even makes any sense that right ain't now. gonna work dude <laughs> you know i i think i've probably said all of those but i think uh one of the um one of the best responses i ever got uh like back to any of those was humor me and mm, just do like it that. anyway and it was just like, like it was that. so like disarming that. and disfu- diffusing it was just like well now i have no way to be a dick so i might as well do it you know i like, love that yeah just humor me just humor me yeah just yeah, do it man. anyway humor <laughs> me and do it anyway that's great that's great how do you what do you respond to that you know all right fine i'll do it you it's either not gonna do work, it or you don't. i'll do it right yeah. well you know or it's like what have you really got to lose i mean just do it just see what happens 
And no. that's how I ran my program was an experiment that I was going to do it to the best of my given ability. If it didn't work, I knew what the other alternative was. Oh, yeah. I didn't like it very much, but I knew I could go back to that if but I really... it's always there, man. Right. It's just right, right there. Yep. You know, they, they say in the rooms, it's like this thing you hear over and over. No matter where you go to a meeting, you'll hear somebody say this. They were like, try this thing for a year, and if you don't like it, you can go back out there... Your misery's out there at a full refund. That's right. We'll happily oh, refund yeah. you your misery. Yeah. Yeah. Full mm-hmm. refund. And that's the Joe and Charlie concept when I when you know, which really changed my recovery in a lot of ways. But that's the way they had, uh, had said it. Like, look, this is not a a process that you judge while you're doing it. Okay. What you're supposed to do is do the work and then judge the result. Hey, don't judge the process because the process won't make sense to you. At all. At all, right. This is a complete paradox, man. But judge the result. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's what I did. I put my head down. I worked as hard as I could, right? Ran that experiment. And then the results started coming. And then I understood it backwards, right? Mm-hmm. After I had worked through the 12 steps, then I understood how they worked on me in retrospect, right? So that was an instructive piece. Alex, what would you say to somebody who was, you know, in this place where they really felt like recovery wasn't in the cards for them, that they had tried it over and over? You know how many, I mean, you know, um, you know, multiple treatments, multiple attempts, and like this is, I am unrecoverable. Um, man, you know, I, I guess for me, I struggle with that a little bit. I mean, I was fortunate to be in a position when I came into recovery that the decision to put the drugs and the alcohol down, I wouldn't say it was necessarily the easiest thing I've ever done in my life, but it wasn't a hard choice. Um, the hard part was to <laughs> the uh, the hard part was not picking it back up. That was the really hard part, right? You know, and so for me, like when I see people who are drowning in their own misery and struggling with their own uniqueness, I say, and I've said to them before, look. You know, I mean, look at all the things that you say, oh, I'm different from you because. Look at all of those and forget about them. You know, like let's start it. Let's start from the very basics of, you know, the things we have in common. Right. You know, um, and the last time I used this, I, I said to this young younger guy, I said, we're both men. Right. We both know what it's like to be a man in this world, you know, and, you know, I mean, just listing the similarities right there. And um, I said, you know, tell me, tell me a little bit about like what drives you to drink, you know, and I said, you know, damn, that really sucks. I can relate to that. And here's how. And I mean, more or less in a casual, not like, you know, we're going to sit down and we're going to go through this, damn it. And by the time we're done, 
you're you're going to be just like me. Not at all. Like breaking down the differences to a point where it's up to them to decide if they truly are unique, but also to kind of let them know that, you know, there's somebody out there who at least if nothing else understands a sliver mm-hmm. of what it's like to be them. It's a it's a great way to sort of just relate on a very basic level. It reminds me of why it's important that, you know, men have male sponsors and women have female sponsors. Yeah. Uh, I strongly advocate any woman in recovery find a woman's meeting, a woman's yeah. only meeting Definitely. that they can attend regularly because that allows them to be able to really connect to other women in recovery that in a safe way. Um, right. So, and well, I, so they can focus on them without having all that distraction of, you know, opposite sex or yeah, absolutely courting, attraction, absolutely. dating, discovery instead of recovery. Mm, Thirteen stepping. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's I interesting though because that. it's it's you know. <laughs> People maybe misunderstand some of that stuff, too, that goes on in early recovery. Like, I remember very clearly, you know, as I was going through the steps, an awakening happened for me, both spiritually but also physically, because, and that means sexually, right? Like, yeah. oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, oh, damn. Yeah. You know, so that's happening. And that cannot be ignored. Right? That doesn't mean that it's productive in my recovery to be, you know, to be right. focusing on that. That's why really early on for me, I did go to a men's meeting and it was really important for me to go to a men's meeting because it did remove that distraction. And because that had been deadened for, you know, quite some time, it was good to um, and that was a good place for me to be um, uh, from a recovery stand point right well and then too if you're working the hardest program you know that you can and and you're really trying to stay abstinent right and all that i mean you're still you can't control the thoughts right like you still have attraction and you still long for you you know things urges oh dude you know impure thoughts and (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah so, I shouldn't laugh at that. That makes me feel like a pervert. Whatever. You know, we're all sick. <laughs> sick, but getting better. Yeah. Absolutely. So one of the things I think that, um, and if anybody wants to read, you know, some of the material that I've gotten is from Strong Inside Out. Okay. Great roundup on a, on, on all things terminal uniqueness Related, So it's stronginsideout.com and search on terminally unique. You just, if you just use your Google foo, Google foo, you can do that. And this will be one of the very first results that comes up. And what I would say is this line makes a lot of sense to me. While you will always be complex, a complex, distinct snowflake of a being. Snowflake. Yes. You are not terminally unique. Correct. Yeah. So we're going to take some calls. And you got Buddy C coming your way. Okay. 
right now. We're going to listen to Buddy C. Buddy C, Buddy C called us, and uh, he has some thoughts to share on terminal uniqueness. And here we go. So, Jason. Hey, Charlie, Buddy C, uh, Carterville, Georgia. I'm thinking about your topic for today um, on uniqueness. Um, you know, in my thinking, I always separate myself so I can have this false importance, but you know, I'm just part of this big body. And if I need help, Let's say I'm the forearm on the body. I don't get, I can't give nourishment to that forearm by itself. I have to uh, be attached to the body to get nourishment. And that's where I've uh, been attached to that body is where I get my uh, uh, value as well. So I have to look to the others around me that are part of this body uh, to get what I need. So uh, that's how I approach uniqueness. And um, looking forward to a good uh Program today. Thank you. Wow, buddy. That's, buddy. That's a really cool analogy, man. Um, I want to I wanna let you know, buddy, I really appreciate you uh, participating in this conversation, man. And uh, I love your insights, bro. Um, that is an awesome, awesome analogy, you know, and it's so true, um, you know, and I kind of alluded to that earlier that, you know, until you step through the fear and experience that feeling of being a part of and not being alone anymore, like I did, you really won't, you know, it's that until that happens, you can't come to that understanding that Buddy so awesomely just described like he did, um, that really this is and becomes our lifeblood. We could derive so much wisdom and and support and encouragement and empowerment from the people around us in this program, not only the ones that we help, but the ones that we um, receive help from or just the ones that we're passively listening to in a meeting. I mean, we get, we get um, something from everyone and everything we listen to in here. And boy, you know, that was that was really good because it is it's like. You know, you ever have those nights where you're feeling like shit, I don't really want to go to a meeting, but I drag my ass up and I go, right? And then it ends up being this like amazing, mind-blowing, like, and I went there tired, wanting to go to sleep, take another nap, whatever, and uh, I leave feeling elated and like literally like giddy, like, because that's a spiritual experience, man. You know what I mean? Like sharing those things in that room. Sometimes like it can get so real that it makes your hair stand on end and you get, you get just filled up. You get filled up with life and joy and uh, hope and all this good stuff that, you know, it wouldn't have happened if you would have just let that shitty feeling tell you, yeah, don't go to the meeting tonight, man. Just let's go to bed early. You know, tomorrow's another day. Uh. And that's that, Buddy, thank you for calling in and thank you for participating once again in this podcast. It makes it better. It just does. Absolutely, man. And so thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, what I like about it is it takes the focus off of us and like flips it around to our viewers. Like, I mean, I like the variety of it. I do too. So one of the things that Buddy talks about, I think that when he talks about being part of the whole and if my hand or my arm or my leg or my foot is not attached it dies 
Okay? It needs to be a part of the whole. Now, I feel the same way when it comes to my connection to the recovery community mm-hmm. and my recovery community. That is my lifeblood, and I need to be a part of mm-hmm. instead of apart from. And if I am a part of that, I continue to get what I need in order to be able to sustain my recovery and to be able to sustain my spiritual fitness. But if I remove myself from the lifeblood, that is my recovery community. Well, my recovery will die. So huge, buddy. Well, we need to serve others, but we also need to let them serve us, you know? And Jason, oh, 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 you need to, you must tell us about the fellowship of the sponge. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Check it out. Go on YouTube, Google, or not Google, YouTube search the fellowship of the sponge. It's a video made by Dr. Greg Bourgeon, Burgon or something like that. You'll see it. Bourgeon. But anyway, it's, it's essentially, it's a, it's all about. Um, finding a healthy balance between service and being served. Like we need to find ways in which to enrich our souls. So people, places, things, you know, whatever that we can uh, engage in activities, workshops that whatever it may be that we learn valuable, practical information, tools, wisdom, um, get inspired, find joy, whatever it is. And also, we need to be doing that for others. So imagine when you're filling yourself up, you're filling the sponge with water. But if you leave it sit in there, it just gets oversaturated. And yeah, and then eventually the sponge will start to like rip apart. But the when you're wringing it out, like that's what a sponge is for, filling it up, wringing it out. You know, filling it up, wringing it out. So that's what you do. You got to try to pass that stuff on. All the things that you find that because you're seeking spiritual enlightenment, fulfillment, um, you know, more information or to better arm yourself and your recovery or your life or your whatever, your work. You need to pass it on, pass that on. And that's kind of the essence of the 12 step programs as well. But this particular video is a Christian uh based kind of approach to the exact same thing the principle right is the same though we need to give and we need to allow ourselves if we're constantly giving and we're constantly giving that our cup's empty Mm -hmm. and then we have nothing left to give right right? and so we also need to be cognizant of being able to take in that nourishment from our recovery community from the community that we build out around us right yeah. and this community piece is really important you know uh, somebody once said it in, in a podcast interview that i really really loved um that was philip andrew he draw the drew this analogy about if an actor is going for a role okay and he needs to prepare himself for this role okay and maybe it's uh, somebody that's going to be a superhero, right? He's going to have a team to help him work out. He's going to have a team. Uh, he's going to have a chef and a dietitian, okay? Uh, and he's going to have a, a, a vocal coach. He's going to have a whole slew of people around him to help him be successful, right? He's wow. going to have that team around him to be successful and he will not succeed he will not succeed if he doesn't have this supporting cast 
to help him succeed. And I feel the same way about recovery. You need this supporting cast to help you succeed. Totally, man. You know, and plug into that community. And that community is available to you. To anybody out there, that community is available. You just have to reach out to it. Well, I think it's kind of interesting that we're talking about this because last week, buddy, uh, was talking about spirituality being uh, what can I do for you? Versus what you can do for me. Mm. Like, I I just love that yeah. what we're talking about right now just, like, ties right back into that. Like, Dude, that video even goes more in depth. Like, I purposely tried not to, like, give away all of his points. But he has some awesome insights about the sponge, you know, and that in this... This idea. You know. So go in and YouTube that yeah. Fellowship of the Sponge. It really is an instructive analogy in terms of, you know, really the recovery community. And what it does for us on a like personal level, emotional level, spiritual level. Um, yeah. If we do too much of one or the other, it's it's a good video. Alex, we got Anne Marie coming your way. All right, let's hear it. Hi, this is Anne Marie Underhill. I'm from St. Paul, Minnesota, in United States of America. And yeah. <laughs> I'm say the topic of terminal. Hi, Anne Marie. I think most people in recovery have this idea that their parents were this or their situation was this, and it's so bad, it's so bad. I'm so unique in my situation that I had it so rough. Um, I think that's a big part of what I hear when I hear about people thinking they're super unique is that they had rough parents. Well, you know what? Sorry, but I think probably close to 90% of us had bad parents. And you know what? The parents probably did the best they could, and they probably had screwed up parents. It's just kind of how it goes. So, anyway, uh, that's my <laughs> opinion. And I'm Anne-Marie, uh, and uh, thanks for watching. Over and out. Mic drop. Did she just say over and out? She sure did. Dude, that That's awesome. Dope. Yeah. <laughs> thanks thanks so much for calling in. Thank you. Awesome. Um, I really like that you touched on like how a lot of us had bad parents and how they did the best they could. You know, like I don't, I don't like when I think about my parents, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I definitely gave them a run for their money. Holy shit. But you know, on the other hand, like, you know, did they make some, did they make some of the best choices in the world? Probably not, but I mean, I don't think I could have done any better, which leads me to believe that they really did do their best, right? And, you know, I think about their parents and so on and so forth. I mean, you know, being terminally unique in that sense, like, you know, I don't know. Like, if we if we break it down on a level like that, I think that um, what it does is it, it makes it a lot more relatable and kind of breaks down the... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It kind of saturates it to the point where those walls of being terminally unique just can't hold themselves up anymore. You know, and it, it uh, goes from being a, uh, um, you know, something that's kind of holding us back to this uh, structure that kind of crumbles underneath itself. And I mean, eventually you have nothing left to do but give away. Let you know, let these walls give way, and kind of fall into it into this re- program of recovery. Or, you know, you can let the walls fall and then swim back out into an ocean of misery. Absolutely. And that's the, you know, this idea that we will be um, broken forever. That whatever 
special circumstances and special blend of life experiences that and us. right <laughs> right you know nothing nobody can ever fix me nothing will ever nothing will ever work yep yep and that's a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah oh yeah and so when we are at a point where we're starting to seek recovery and we're starting to seek a different life and step through that fear that step through that fear that tells you that you're not able to get well that you're not able to get better that somehow you are constitutionally incapable step through that and start reaching out start being vulnerable start being honest about where you're at and people will respond in a way that will blow your mind. You know, if essentially, you're essentially, I think it's really, it's just saying to yourself, maybe I don't have a fucking clue, you know, because we, we convince ourselves of shit, you know, it's those narratives, man, that we tell ourselves that just, it's so convincing, you know, it's feelings, feeling like facts. And it's, it's just the way that we, we uh, convince ourselves things are going to go. And it's always, always like way off, way off from what it's going to be. And I would also say that if you look for the similarities, which is what I did when I came into recovery just under four years ago, is I started to look for the similarities because that's what I was told to do. And I listened to that advice. And every person that spoke in a meeting, I'd look for the similarities. Not the differences, but the similarities. And if you really, really want to look for similarities, read some stories out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the back. Or the NA book has has personal stories as well. And the personal stories. And highlight. Yeah, if you're going And highlight all the things... That you identify with. That's what my sponsor did with me very early on in the first 164. He said, highlight all the things that that you identify with. Okay? And this that was this practice mm-hmm. of learning to identify and relate rather than differentiate and find reasons why I'm not like you and not like them. And I can it became abundantly clear there was so much more that I related to than that I didn't. And that the stuff I didn't relate to was superficial. Really superficial stuff that really didn't matter. And the stuff that I related to was the stuff that was really important for me and the stuff that really unites us across all spectrums of, of, of addiction and alcoholism. Yeah. Oh yeah. We we connect on a deeper level than most people, you know, because we start right right out the gate like, "Hi, how you doing? I'm I'm Jason, you you're, you're Charlie, but like we're going to sit and we're going to talk about like our greatest sources of shame or just embarrassment or you know, crazy things we did, horrible things that happened and our feelings and it's 
we connect on deep level. And that is that vulnerability and that authenticness when we really connect on that level and and, and the reciprocity happens. Mm. I felt like that too. I did that too. Okay. Oh, it completely I thought deflates. like that T. It deflates that terminal uniqueness. Boom. Yeah. You know what else I think really uh, deflates that terminal uniqueness? Is kind of understanding that none of us got into this program on a on a friggin' winning streak. <laughs> I know I sure as hell didn't. I don't know anybody who's got into AA or NA or any <laughs> right. of that on sure. a winning streak. My buddy Sam always used to open his meeting with that, and he would go, <laughs> he would go, I didn't come in here brimming with sunshine and aspirations. I came in here beat the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, you know who I'm talking yeah. about, Sam. I hope you're listening to this. Oh, brother. that's great. That's great. Oh, that's good. Yep. And that honesty, right, is what we connect with because we all could relate to coming in, feeling our own version of beat the fuck up. Oh, yeah, yeah man. Oh. And just wanting not to be beat the fuck up anymore. You know, when I went in the treatment, it wasn't about not drinking ever again for me. It wasn't about not using ever again. I just didn't want to continue to live like I was living. I just couldn't possibly bear to continue life the way it was. So it wasn't about getting sober for me as much as as it was about getting better. Now, the sobriety had to come first before I got better and the abstinence had to be there in order for me to get better, right? But, um, so that's how that was. So boys, we're gonna have an on-air production meeting, all right? And I'm gonna give you a couple of choices about what next week's topic is going to be okay. and we will make a decision we've got some like a group conscience yeah Ooh, <laughs> very like nice that. well played we've got a plethora a literal cornucopia <laughs> of yeah. recovery power topics boys yeah i've seen this list it it is not lacking in any way shape or form i promise <laughs> it is so funny because both of you, when I shared this topic list, <laughs> honestly, you're I like, was like, "That's a little excessive." You're like, "Damn, bro." Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't even read all of it. I, I could have skimmed... did that too, but I was like, "I thought because you told me we were gonna each present like five to right. ten and topic I, ideas, and, and then you just sent us a list of like seventy-five or a hundred. No, all of them. This is an exhaustive list. Right, because I either I don't know, man. Go, I bet I could come up with some that weren't on that. Uh, uh, challenge, <laughs> challenge accepted. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to try. <laughs> uh, we've got surrender. That's a power topic if I've ever heard oh, one. Yeah. Mm, how about willingness? Hmm. That's an important one. Mm-hmm. Or the elusive but all important. Serenity. Okay. So those are a few topics. Which one speaks to us, boys? They all speak to me. <laughs> I, I, I can, like, I can knock one out of the list and tell you, like, that, like, two of them, like, I, I really want to do. Let's see. Which two? I like Serenity. And, um... The first one you presented, surrender, surrender. Yeah, okay. I actually really like both of those because they're they're deep and they're powerful and like I don't know, like I've lived my recovery by like getting deep and powerful. 
I sat and meditating kind of like a little bit right now and I was leaning towards serenity and then you said serenity and surrender so I mean surrender is always good I mean it's like a first step meeting you know? absolutely I think we have officially come to consensus and we will be next week Speaking on serenity. Oh, yeah. Serenity. Yeah, they have a prayer based on that. And so there's a lot that goes into serenity is an outcome. Right? Oh, absolutely. So there's a lot of things, you know, in in my real job. I have to talk about things because I work in corporate America. I have to (laughs) talk about things like lead measures and leg measures. I don't know what that is. All I'm saying (laughs) is that there's lead measures, which are things that you can do that impact the outcome, right? So there's a bunch of things that affect and produce serenity. We can't just be serene, right? That's like telling somebody to fly, right? But there's a bunch (laughs) of things that we can do that will produce serenity, yeah? Yeah. These are the things, ladies and gentlemen, of the Way Out podcast audience, we will be discussing and we will be taking your calls. So give us a call and share your thoughts and comments on Serenity. Boys, it's been another great podcast. Thank you very much. Yes, yes. We look forward to your participation, guys. Give us some messages. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. Peace out, guys. Thank you for being a part of the Way Out where we share stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. Or drop your host a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. There you can also find links to previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podcast Garden. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, contact me at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.